you know, look at Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, where, you know, he was famous for the kind of opening speech to new employees. It's not like what our parents had when they joined, say, General Motors, where they were like, you're going to be here the rest of your career. It's not what he said. Reid Hoffman said, this is probably a tour of duty for all of you. We know you're, you're going to have long careers and different things. And we're not going to presume LinkedIn is the only place you're going to work. And so now if we're into that context, let's go make this great for both of us. It's such a radical shift and there's nothing wrong with it. And I think we need to get that context embedded into ourselves uh, to understand how valuable we are for one team or another team. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What is your team culture like? What is your leadership style? How do you make decisions? These are all questions my client was recently asked. These questions came from different people, their current team, people who they were interviewing, who wanted to work for them, even their mentee. They all wanted to know, what's it like to work for you, to learn from you? And when I started working with this client, they had some generic answers that they could speak to each of these questions, but sometimes they weren't as confident in their answers as they'd like to be. Now they're able to confidently describe with examples, the cultures of their team their leadership style and how they make decisions aligned to what's important to them by describing their values, how they model those values and how they reward and recognize those behaviors. Can you answer those questions for yourself? Let's dig into these together. Join us in the catch crew, a place to grow your career intentionally, to get the skills to intentionally grow your career and your teams through your own leadership. When you join, you get instant access to team building tools, including values first, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, values first. You get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. That's the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. This week, we are talking to our guest, Robert Jordan. Robert is the CEO of Interim Execs, which matches top executives with companies around the world. Based on research with thousands of leaders and companies, he and Olivia Wagner wrote, Right Leader, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company, and have launched the FABS Leadership Assessment a free assessment at rightleader.com designed to help leaders and organizations perform better. Jordan also authored How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America, and helped publish Start With No, Jim Camp's bestseller on negotiation. 
I'm talking with Robert today on how leaders in corporate can not only stay afloat, but also thrive in periods of internal and external stability. And this episode, we cover a lot, including, you know, what's the first thing leaders need to think about as they're leading through this type of complexity? We talked about things like changes in leadership, reorgs, new managers, all the things. And we talked about four types of leadership and how to know which one you are to thrive at work. We also talked about, most importantly, what to do next with that information. Robert gave a ton of examples from interviews of executives from the book, Right Leader, Right Time. And I want to make sure that you listen until the end where Robert asked me which leadership style I think that I am. So let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Laura. It's a pleasure to be with you. Before we get started and then get into our topic, I'd love it if I could hear a little bit more about your life and career story. Do we have a guitar to accompany or banjo, or am I just going to have to do this <laughs> cold? No banjo today. <laughs> Maybe you could add it. Maybe that'll be a post-production capability <laughs> or something. So um, thanks, Laura. I'm your classic entrepreneur in the sense, um, start of career, lots of startups. The, the big thing I did early on, I dropped out of graduate school to start the first magazine that covered online and internet. And um, dropping out of a good school, I was at Kellogg, was not at that point looked upon favorably. I think a lot of students thought I was nuts. And I was only five years too early. The World Wide Web had not yet come around. There were commercial online services. Anyway, so I launched a publishing company. Uh, the beginning was a bloody mess, but eventually it put me onto the Inc. 500 list for fastest growing businesses and ended up um, selling to a big publisher. And I was, and that wasn't an event like, oh, gee, I'm going off to an island. It was more like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And you know that uh, Zen expression, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear? Mm-hmm. So fortuitously, by chance, coincidentally, whatever you want to call it, I was at a conference. And the online world was a very small community pre-World Wide Web, basically like one meeting a year for anyone who was in online services. And I had met a guy over the years, and he was a little strange every time I saw him, he had a different business card. And so he's coming up to me, and he's about to hand me a new card. I'm like, dude, you know, can't you hold down a job? And he said, no, you don't get it. Uh, we were in Silicon Valley at the time. And he said, he said, the VC, the venture capitalist, they're not going to give a rookie engineer a big check. And just that was it. And he said he had a team and he would parachute in with the money. That just blew my mind that that was something that was possible. And he had this weird title. He was an interim CEO. Then he handed me the new card. The new card said CEO of Yahoo. Now, that made a deep impression on me because in the industry, we knew Yahoo was going to go public on zero revenue, not zero earnings. And furthermore, the SEC had, had gone through a fundamental change that, you know, it used to take about six months to go public. And here all of these directories, online directories were racing within 30 days. So I said to this guy who I didn't know very well, I said, you're now my mentor. And I came home from a meeting with him and I bought two domain names, interimceo.com and interimcfo.com. And I hung out a shingle and started doing project-based leadership roles like him for early stage tech companies and um, did that for a 
bunch of years. So then, you know, social networks came around mm -hmm. and I realized, you know, even when I bring a team in, I'm only one person. And um, I wonder how many people in the world are like me and Philip, my mentor. And so we formed kind of a social network for people around the world who were doing, whether you want to call it interim or contract or fractional yeah. leadership roles. That morphed into what I still do today, which is called interim execs. So I'm one of the partners there. And interim execs is a global matchmaker between organizations that show up that have a leadership need project-based, and this incredible pool of very talented executives. I love that story. And thank you so much for sharing it. I think you're the right person to talk about what we're going to talk about today. And I'd love to dig into this idea of, you know, like you said, people are like their companies are growing and there's lots happening out in the world. I don't know. There's a couple of things happening. Like we're, you know, we're just out of a pandemic. There might be some inflation, a recession. Um, there's lots. You mentioned tech. You know, if you've been in the news at all or have seen anything on LinkedIn, all of the, the layoffs that have been happening, um, especially in tech. And it just feels like a, a lot of instability. And so as throughout your career, I'm sure you have you have been on both sides of it, been the interim in all these companies that have instability, whether internal or external, or been pairing, you know, executives to companies that are in these spots, right? And so I would love to talk a bit today about like how do leaders in these companies or or if you're looking for your next company. Like how, how do we show up for our teams, for the companies to, you know, thrive in some of these periods of internal or external stability? In in my corporate career, I just remember corporate instability as like, okay, we're going through another reduction in force, or there's going to be a, an org change, right? <laughs> or, or guess what? It's the restructure and you have, or you have a new CEO, or new department leader. Like there's so many things that are happening right now. So I'd love to to start there and see where the conversation goes on what are some of the things that leaders need to think about as we're leading in this type of complexity? It's a great question. And the end result of a lot of years of, of research that we've done is you're going to hate this answer, but I'm going to say that depends. It depends. Because <laughs> Well, it depends on how you're wired and in particular leadership style. Yeah. So the reason we recently came out with this book is because we've been approached by about 7,000 executives over the past 10 years. We developed ranking, scoring, screening, and there was a disturbing pattern among the majority of executives, which is that their experiences in terms of leadership journey and career were okay but you wouldn't describe them as, oh my God, remarkable. And then this flip side, there was this, there is this top three, four, five percent where you just they're they're remarkable. They're exceptional leaders. So we saw this pattern among the majority that I could sum up by saying, attempting to be all things to all people. It never works. You know, we say it, but a lot of people actually do it, maybe unbeknownst to themselves. Not enough self-awareness. Flip side on the with exceptional leaders is we saw four distinct leadership styles that each produced excellent results. But these people were not trying to be all things to all people, and they tended 
to have a dominant trait or style. And we gave them four labels, fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. And so the first thing I would say in terms of anybody navigating career and workplace right now is, well, what's your style? Because depending upon how you answer that, then I'm going to tell you a different kind of answer in terms of, we used a phrase in the book, highest and best use. And it is different based on how you are wired. And your highest and best use, Laura, is going to be different from mine. Yeah. And I, and I feel like a lot of the people that I'm coaching now, where they are their best, their companies are not. And so there's this misalignment. Do you find the same? Yes. We interviewed a lot of leaders for the book. We also interviewed a number of organizational psychologists with the basic question, are we crazy? <laughs> Do you think that this is a model that could prove out? And so, you know, we were getting we were getting a lot of feedback that, in fact, you know, this could be a valid model and, and that it would prove out in terms of that these differences mattered. And yet it, it doesn't mean I and mean, we can we can each have incredible success, but in very different ways. So tell me more about the four types in a nutshell, um, fixer, artist, builder and strategist. Fixer is the energy that runs into the burning building. We mean something very specific here, though. It's it's this leadership wiring that goes into the burning building time after time. See, all of us in our roles are called upon to solve problems. We get that. That's just a necessary, among the toolbox, all the skills you bring to your role, of course, you have to solve problems. The wiring with Fixer, though, is interesting because it's like an adrenaline fix. It's that you have to keep doing that. And the career progression is different. The fixer leader tends to be somebody where early in career, really bright, kind of undifferentiated, and somebody over them said, let's throw Laura at this problem no one else has solved. It's in another country. It's in another division. It's with a client you didn't have, but it's almost intractable. It's almost like no one else could figure it out. And you go in, Laura goes in, and it takes a year or two years or six months, whatever it is, but you crush it and you are hooked. You are hooked. There's something in you which says that normal steady state business is not going to suffice anymore. We had an inkling of Fixer because we had done another book before this called How They Did a Series of Interviews with Champion Company Founders. And one of the founders we interviewed, he said in the middle of the interview, apropos of nothing, he said, you know, if I put a Fixer into one of my companies and it's not broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. And that stuck with us, which, why is that? It's true. So that's a little bit about Fixer. I love those as in terms of like, those are the people that like you send in for the turnaround, right? And you expect those results and then they need another thing. They have to rotate off once it's solved. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Heaven help you if you leave the Fixer and once everything is back up humming smoothly. Okay. What about the artist? Artist is the energy and the leadership style that sees the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded. The standout example in the world today is you and I recording this, Laura, is Elon Musk. But you can look historically at leaders who are wired for innovation like Steve Jobs and Thomas Edison. They cannot help but create. And so in this style, the artist tends to be the renegade, the one that does not fit the nonconformist. It can be to your peril if you're a wired artist, but you have to do this. One of the leaders we interviewed or the book was a lieutenant to Andy Grove. Andy Grove, arguably the 
the greatest CEO Intel has ever had, or at least up to this point. And Andy described this lieutenant as his wild duck. You have to picture here, he's got all these brilliant engineers running things and, you know, this mission, how do you cram more, more transistors onto a circuit board? And it's just very kind of regimented. And he needed an oddball. And so this lieutenant was wired for such innovation and creativity. And Andy said, you need that, even though it's kind of disagreeable. And that was a lieutenant who set up Intel Capital. Kind of uh, how do you, you get out of your left brain and into some completely creative other mode? Does that, does that help with artists? It does. I really like those examples. What about Builder then? Builder is the energy. Everyone's a build. Everyone's like, of course, I'm a builder. We get that. We mean something specific, though, which is this is the leadership style that takes the nascent or the small team project product service uh, set of clients division and is driven for market domination and for scale. What you will tend to see among builder leaders is that once they achieve that scale, not so interesting anymore. For example, you will see someone that has an IPO rotate off. Now they're the chairman. Now they're going to go back and do something else. Same is true in large corporations where someone just feels they're needed more with the smaller team. Sometimes it's really world domination. A lot of times it's not. I've spent a bunch of time in Boston and there is a phenomenal bakery in Boston. Recommended to everybody there. And it's not only what I think is the best, but they're dominant. They have great locations in Boston and the suburbs. I don't think they're ever coming to my hometown of Chicago. I'm not sure they're going anywhere else, but I'm telling you at the heart of that bakery, there's a builder. Mm, okay. They had market domination on the brain. Okay. That's so interesting. I like it. And why do you think so many people resonate with the idea of being a builder? It's a very positive trait. And, you know, we got to be really clear here. We're not trying to pigeonhole any leader to say, you are just this one thing. We are all combination of all of these abilities we bring to bear to be excellent in our work. The thing we liken it to is, is like DNA. You know, we are all composed of just four nucleotides. That's it. But whether you know it's your Aunt Mary or your puppy, you know, or your cat or the oak tree, it's just an infinite variation on four different kinds of protein makes up all biological life. The way we think the same of leadership, which is you have these components. And what we have tended to see is that exceptional leaders tend to have a dominant style or a dominant and a secondary. Got it. But in no case would an exceptional leader really have a claim to say, I can do everything equally well. So to round it out, talk to me a bit about the strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale. Strategist is the energy that is involved in complex and vast organization. One of the leaders, the strategist leaders we interviewed for the book was the former undersecretary of the Navy, Dr. Janine Davidson, a phenomenal leader. And to hear her describe how you deal and, and have impact in an organization more than a million strong is really interesting. And it's about systems of systems. But the language you will hear from a strategist in terms of advancing beyond competitors is completely different language from fixers, artists, and builders. Strategists talk about cross-training and multi-year in terms of building their capabilities and loyalty and mentorship. Mm -hmm. You aren't hearing that language 
out of fixtures, artists, and builders, those styles tend to be team sizes, 10, 5, 50, 200. But those leaders tend to rely on what Stephen Covey called personal span of control, that there's relationships there that I depend on you and you depend on me. The strategist leader is operating at scale where that's just not the way in which you are always going to, to succeed because it's not possible. You are in roles way beyond personal span of control for everyone in the organization. Yeah, I love that description because right before we started um, recording our our podcast today, we were talking about Indra Nui, who um, led PepsiCo for, I think, 12 years. And I was uh, in the organization and got to be a part of that. And while I didn't work directly for her, I worked in an organization that is exactly what you said. Like she built a legacy of capability and I was lucky enough to work in one of the places that built capability. That was literally my job. I built capability for commercial functions and the role that I had. And that's something that she stood up while she was there um, and is a legacy of um, her leadership there was called at PepsiCo University and is the big learning arm of the organization. And um, that's exactly, <laughs> exactly as you've described. And what you did was vital for the organization. And it's just these languages are so different and complementary for sure. But these are totally different kinds of energies that need to work together if you're going to be in a high-performing team and, and organization. Yeah, those are the four, right? So we have fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. So you said the first thing that we need to do in like this like times of uncertainty, understand who, who you are, right? You got to embrace you. The first step is you have to embrace you. And a, yeah. a lot of stuff sounds obvious. I have to tell you, again, the majority of leaders do not get this right. Mm. They don't. There is dilution. An effort. There's a little bit of delusion going on. There are too many detours in career. And, you know, it's easy for me to say this. It's incredibly hard to do early on in your career because you think about it early on. You need the job. You need the money. Right. You know, your family is 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 looking up to you. Oh, look, you, you know, the, they're working at this great company or whatever. You're not in a position where you're going to do anything other than just do what you, you've been ordered to do. But here's the thing. Over time, Exceptional leaders tend to reject more and more of what is not for their highest and best use. Yeah. It requires the journey. It is not a short-term kind of thing. It is painful, but it is the necessary thing if you're going to be successful. Do you have a personal example of that? It's a great question. One of the leaders we interviewed in the book, uh, his name is Dave Warmesher. And Dave is strongly wired as artist leader. One of the traits of artist strategist leaders is, this is an oxymoron, but I'll say it anyway, it's parallel focus. Fixers and builders tend to do one thing at a time. They're very linear. If you ever hear about a fixer who's fixing three companies at the same time, run in the opposite direction. They're not going to succeed. Okay. Artist, though, artist energy explains exactly why Elon Musk has Tesla, SpaceX, and the Boring Company at the same time. He needs that parallel kind of, of intentional distraction for the kind of creative energy that he has. This example, Dave Warmesher, he had set up a marketing services company and successfully grew it to a couple hundred people. And, you know, over time realized 
that he was going to have to keep reinventing himself and the company if they were going to succeed. And this is while he was chairman of the Lyric Opera. And he had started a, an effort in Rwanda to create a class of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs in the country to get past genocide. Well, at the same point, he realized here back here with his company that there was an active reinvention for himself and his company he was going to have to go through because he was a general focused marketing services firm. And he asked himself a question at one point. He said it was a thought experiment. And he thought of a big potential client in New York. And would they pick him? I mean, he thought he was excellent, hundreds of employees, but would he win? And he thought, no, not necessarily. So he sharpened their focus and his focus and started painfully rejecting multi-million dollar clients. The, the focus they chose was healthcare. And it was not easy because it was a short-term money-losing strategy. They kind of all held their breath, but within a year, it had paid off sales rebounded. This, this great courage to reject. Things got better and better. He got to a point again where it was even within healthcare and they were an authority, but it's still a very broad space. And, and another thought experiment, you know, with another huge potential client, would he be picked? Would he be the top of the of who they were thinking of? And he thought, maybe not. And so they had to reject again mm. in terms of more current clients and cash, but to sharpen their focus again. So organizationally, I see him as a great example of rejecting what is not for your highest and best use. Nice, thank you so much for that extra context. Are you in a new role or transitioning to a new role soon? Have you thought about how you will transition into your new role intentionally? How do you create boundaries to sustain your energy and prioritize the things that matter most to you? How would it feel to go into your new role feeling prepared with an intentional plan to prioritize the most important things and still have energy to tackle the things that will inevitably come your way? These are the kinds of things that leaders are working on in the Catch Crew. The Catch Crew is our community to build your career intentionally, whether that means transitioning into a new role, building or reinforcing your team culture, or planning your next role. When you join, you get instant access to career transition tools, including Values First, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, Values First. You'll get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. That's thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. We're having our next monthly catch up soon. Can't wait to see you there. So after you, after you kind of know where you are in one of these, what's the what's the next thing to do to be able to actually make the progress? What if you find that, you know, I'm a strategist, but I'm not in the place or I'm a builder, but I'm not in a place to build. Like, I feel like there's a lot of places that you could find yourself in misalignment. Yeah. One of the organizational psychologists we talked to, he, he cited a Gallup study that said 90% of leaders are in the wrong role, which kind of blew me away hearing hearing that. And my take on this is the first thing is have an authentic conversation. Because if you and I, Laura, are on a team together 
the way that team is going to do better is, is that the more you know how I am wired and how best I should be used, the more I know about you, how you should best be used and what you love and what you hate, why would I put you on the things you're not great at or that you dislike? And that requires, you know, as Brene Brown would say, vulnerability. And that's what we need to get to for higher performing teams. Authenticity is a word that's tossed around too much. But there are these examples we all have where we cannot help but be authentic. And the two that, you know, always come to mind for me, um, one is nature. We each have this interaction, this experience with nature, whatever that means to you. It's walking through a forest, you know, whatever it is, that it, it, there, there's no cover between it. You, you have this feeling, this thing that is true for you. And the other is music. We all have this. Oliver Sacks, the way he said it is that music and nature are the two natural, non-pharmacological <laughs> solutions for better mental health. I think it was also getting at authenticity is that we have a relationship to our favorite music or, or recording artist that is something that kind of bypasses our conscious brains and that just makes us home. And we need to try to get a little of that in, into our work or a lot of it into our work. Yeah. And I love the idea of having a conversation like it's not revolutionary, but it it does take to have that conversation with your leader or who or your sponsor, or your mentor, whoever that is. And then for that leader to be open to hearing that. Right. If they're a great leader, hopefully they they probably know. Right. They probably know. And to have those career conversations are just so vital to all of this, to, to get to high-performing teams, to your point. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we interviewed and, and, you know, did research on organizations that the world is just fundamentally different. And I'm, I'm not saying better or worse, but, you know, look at Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, where, you know, he was famous for the kind of opening speech to new employees. It's not like what our parents had when they joined, say, General Motors where they were like, you're going to be here the rest of your career. It's not what he said. Reid Hoffman said, this is probably a tour of duty for all of you. We know you're, you're going to have long careers and different things. And we're not going to presume LinkedIn is the only place you're going to work. And so now if we're into that context, let's go make this great for both of us. It's such a radical shift. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I think we need to get that context embedded into ourselves. Uh, to understand how valuable we are for one team or another team. I really love that perspective on building long-term capability for people and for the company. Like I, as a leader, I feel like I'm successful if I can help you get to that next next spot, right? It's not that I'm going to be hoard all the talent in my team. You've seen those, right? I know I have in my career, the ones that um, know that they're good and they keep them on their team and keep them stagnant. But a true measure of a leader is really to whatever point of the career is to keep growing that person, no matter the benefit to them or not. You're 100% right. You know, the, the radical example, um, we interviewed fairly senior manager at Google who had a couple hundred employees and a couple hundred contractors on his team, which is big for Google. And think about what Google does. Google is, is relentlessly automating and perfecting and more searches per second. And, and so his team was always tasked with a mission to automate something that Google had previously done kind of by hand. Mm -hmm. He said, so if you think about it, 
their project was obsolesce yourselves. Take 12 to 18 months or whatever it was to make your entire team and you obsolete. And he said, there was absolutely no intention that it was like, great, thanks, you did it, you're fired. That's not, <laughs> that's not what they were doing. In fact, it was that you were proving your excellence and making the organization better and improving on its functionality and its mission, but you were going to move on to another team and it would not be the same team and it would not look the same because the organization would be different for it. I love it. I love that so much. And think about what you can do in the freedom and the, well, and probably trust that is required for that too, right? What you can bring to a role like that, knowing that there's something there for you after, right? Right. And, and you know, this executive continually kept on doing that. And, you know, this gets back to what we were talking about before, that exceptional leaders reject more and more of what is not for their highest and best use. Well, part of that comes from confidence. We also think there's a commonality among exceptional leaders that they're really collaborating on steroids. Everyone says in the organization, oh, I'm a great collaborator. That's not true. Because the more that you are insecure or desperate or think, I, I have to do that, I have to do this, I have to do the other, that is being all things to all people. And that is not good collaboration. Yeah, I feel like by the nature of what you've talked about and who you described as examples, like there might be dominant ones that are better collaborators. Is it like builder and strategist? I feel like artists may not be so great. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Artist Energy, we're launching a free leadership assessment tool. So I hope sooner or later I'm going to answer more of these questions with, with data Yeah, yeah. Um, over time. It is the goal. It, you know, it, it very much feels to us that Artist Energy is, is renegade and outsider. And it's just the nature of making these discontinuous leaps that it's uncomfortable for everyone. It's uncomfortable for the artist, but they can't stop doing it. You know, my wiring is really strong artist, but it's at my peril. It doesn't mean everything is, oh, my God, you're creative. Well, yes, but the flip side is operationally, I'm not nearly as good as my partners. So I make a huge effort to be great at honoring, respecting, collaborating with them and taking orders from them. It's the only way we're going to perform well. As you like have described all of these things, you had asked me at the beginning that you were going to ask me this question. You want to ask me now? <laughs> You're on the spot, Laura. Which of the four do you think might be your dominant wiring? I feel like it's strategist and builder. That's my guess. I'll take your assessment, but that's my guess. <laughs> Is um, strategist because I think about long-term capability building, right? And to get to scale uh, as well. And so those are the the things that probably drive me the most. That's what I think about me. At some point, I could probably do a fixer role, but that's not like super fun for me to think about. But yeah, so those those two, I would say probably strategist dominant builder next. And artist is way down for me. <laughs> Well, you know, I wonder if we're going to get science behind what you just said, because a lot of strategists will say that one of their primary partnership kind of needs or collaboration needs is artists. Interesting. We 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 entered a, interviewed about 100 leaders for the book, and we were trying to pick leaders where we thought this person's clearly fixer, this one is artist and all that. Yeah. 
And we had a bunch of questions for them about their careers and only sprung the idea, the thesis here, about midway through the interview because we didn't want to bias the results. Right. But we were then asking after they heard it, does any one of these resonate with you? Does this spark any thoughts in terms of of how you've seen your career advance and um, all of that? And one of the primary responses of strategist was that among the four, it tended to be that their lowest was artist mode and the highest form of partner pairing would be with that kind of energy. Yeah, that's really interesting. (laughs) I also resonate just with how you're speaking about it as an energy, because I do feel like it is, it for sure is an energy and it's not a personality, but it is a, it's a vibe for sure. (laughs) This is not an overlay on personality. You know, there are all kinds of great profiling, you know, metrics kinds of um, systems out there. We're we're huge fans of one called Colby. Um, A lot of people have heard of DISC, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, 80, 90 years ago when employee testing first came around, it was just IQ. Yeah. And fine, raw intelligence, but all of this came around because that was not enough to describe what would be success at work. So we're not making any, first of all, we're not going to make any claims for this outside of organization, outside of of what is work. We're not applying this to politics. We're not, you know, and we'll see if there's an overlay when it comes to personality. Well, I'm excited to see what data comes out of your assessment, but um, I'd also just love to know where can we grab the book and where can we find out more? Thank you. So the book is in all the uh, usual places. This is what the publisher says. Don't just say Amazon. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, Target and Barnes and Noble is where you can find Right Leader, Right Time. And I can be reached at interimexecs.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed sharing this space with you today. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.